And that was the friendship that he had with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, those two sisters and their brother Lazarus, of whom we read in Scripture, John chapter 11, we read of that great and notable miracle where Lazarus, who had been dead for four days, was called forth from the tomb by the Savior. We also read that prior to his calling him forth from the dead, those two very poignant words at John 11:35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Jesus had a deep compassion and love for this family, and they had a, a compassionate love for him. In John chapter 12, on that occasion where he was in their home, we read where Mary anointed Jesus for burial, as it were, with that fragrant oil. Oh yes, this was a precious, precious friendship. And I'd like for us to look at an incident regarding this relationship in Luke chapter 10 this morning, beginning at verse 38, where it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Oh, there are some very powerful and poignant lessons that can be gleaned from this brief account of this visit of Jesus to the home of these friends whom he loved so very much. The certain village here is obviously Bethany because that was the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Just over the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem, about two miles, and that's where Jesus spent some time, and on this occasion was there visiting in the home, and Martha was very, very concerned, obviously, about being hospitable. And there's nothing wrong with hospitality. In fact, it is enjoined upon us in Scripture. Hospitality uh, is a, a good quality. Think with me for a few moments about a few passages that, that reinforce that statement for us very well. In 1 Timothy, for example, regarding a certain group of, of widows, what is said in 1 Timothy 5, 9, and 10 tells us something about the hospitality that should be characteristic of those who are Christians. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, not unless she has been the wife of one man. Now notice verse 10. Well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. And then when we look at Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, 
The older women, likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And then, of course, we could go to that familiar Old Testament passage in Proverbs 31, beginning at verse 10. A virtuous woman or wife, as the New King James renders it, who can find? Oh, and then it goes on to describe all the good that that virtuous woman does, much of it for her own household. And so there is no question about the fact that hospitality is a good quality and that there were women of whom we read in Scripture who were characterized by that hospitable nature. But there was a problem here that developed on this occasion where hospitality took precedence over something else. And it gave occasion for Jesus to teach a very important lesson, one that obviously lives to this very moment in time and is relevant to this very moment in time for all of us who are here today. If we read on in verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Here was Mary who was hanging upon every word, as it were, of Jesus, taking full advantage of the opportunity that she had to sit at the feet of Jesus, the characteristic position of the student. As remember, it was said that Uh, Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the idea being that he was subservient to him in the recognition of his wisdom and teaching and, and was willing to humble himself and to learn from that Jewish teacher then, as was Mary willing to submit to the authority and humble herself and hang upon every word of the supreme teacher, the master teacher himself, Jesus the Christ. Mary heard his word. And that in itself is a reminder that we need to spend a great deal of time at the feet of Jesus. We cannot do it as Mary did personally, though certainly that would be thrilling, wouldn't it? To be able to actually sit at the feet of Jesus and to see him and to hear him. We can see him one day if we will adapt the attitude that, adopt the attitude that Mary had a humble attitude that says, here am I, I want to study, I want to hear your word. And that's how we sit at the feet of Jesus today. We are privileged to sit at the feet of Jesus, as it were, in a way that can ultimately allow us to see him face to face and to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many, enter into the joys of your Lord. We, if we'll sit at the feet of Jesus today, truly sit at his feet, with the same kind of fervency and the same kind of attitude and the same kind of submissive spirit that Mary manifested here, then one day we'll see him face to face. And oh, what a thrill that will be. Mary heard his word. But then, verse 40, tells us something about Martha on this occasion. And please do not think that Martha was not a disciple of the Lord and one who did not appreciate him or love him, she did indeed, and had faith in him and had expressed that faith on the occasion of of the death of 
of her brother Lazarus. And you can read of that in John chapter 11, verse 20. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And so in this exchange, Martha manifested in that exchange recorded in John 11, the fact that she loved the Lord and had faith in the Lord. But the indication is that that Martha was a single individual, perhaps a widow, that Mary also in that same situation, and that this was Martha's house with whom uh, uh, lived uh, Lazarus and Mary, and that Martha was in charge of things, and Martha wanted to make sure that everything was just as it needed to be for the Savior, for Jesus Christ. And we can understand that, to a great extent. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Things were not in proper perspective is what we are learning from this account. Martha did not on this occasion have her priorities right where they needed to be. And it prompted a loving and gentle but nonetheless a rebuke from the Lord. She was distracted, the New King James says, meaning drawn away, meaning to be over-occupied, meaning to be too busy about a thing, too busy about a thing. Could things have been prepared and taken care of in proper perspective? Yes, but she was too busy about a thing, and she was so caught up in this in the fervor of, of providing the physical meal for the Lord here and to tend to him in that regard that she actually interrupted, interrupted what was taking place between Jesus and Mary in this teaching situation and came to him, verse 40, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Lord, do you not care? Now, Mary obviously, or Martha didn't obviously think through that question very carefully. Do you not care? <laughs> well, she knew the Lord cared. <laughs> There's no one who's ever lived on earth who cared more than the Lord or as much as the Lord. He was perfect in his compassion and in his care. And that word care in this text is the same word we find in, in 1 Peter 5 and verse 7. Where we are admonished, casting all your care or anxiety is the idea of the word care there upon the Lord. For he cares, and that's a different word in the original. For he cares, that is, he has deep compassion and concern for you. That deep compassion and concern, that's the same word care that is used here. She's asking the Lord, do you not have that kind of concern, that care? That she's left me to serve alone? And so then she gives the Lord some instruction, if you will, really. <laughs> Therefore, tell her to help me. Tell her to help me. 
I think we see from these statements of Martha just how completely caught up and consumed she was with serving and how truly distracted she was. Tell her to help me. And in that expression, we can, we can really hear the anticipation that she has that surely, surely the Lord is going to say, perhaps, yes, I, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, Mary, you do need to go help Martha. But that's not the response she received. Instead, this is what she heard. Martha, Martha. And the repetition of the name Martha, I think is significant. Because it indicates the, the care and the concern, the love that he had for Martha. And he was rebuking her in a way that was a loving rebuke. But it was a rebuke, none the less. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Worried, as the New King James renders it. That's the, that's the same word that we find from the Lord's own lips back in the great Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 at verse 25. Where the Lord says what? Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Don't be anxious, is the idea. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? And that, in effect, is the rebuke that he is issuing here to Martha. You are worried, anxious, about those same kinds of things that I have talked about already in the Sermon on the Mount. You're anxious about these things, and you are troubled. Troubled. That's an interesting word in the original. You can almost hear the turbulence from the word turbazo. Turbazo. Turbulence. Turbulence. Turmoil. And that's where she was. Troubled in mind, disquieted, a turbulent mental and agitated state was at work in Martha's mind. And notice this, he says, you are worried, anxious, troubled, disquieted in mind, about what? About many things. About many things. That's the problem. Many things versus what? Versus one, as we're about to see. And it is many things that we need to be very careful about because it is the many things that can ultimately disrupt and destroy our love for the one thing that is most important in this world, and that's the kingdom of God the spiritual. Remember in that same part of the Sermon on the Mount to which we've already alluded in Matthew chapter 6, at the conclusion of that segment where he talked about not being worried and anxious about what you eat, drink, etc., remember what he says in verse 33 of Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. 
Seek first the kingdom of God. And speaking of the kingdom of God, in Matthew chapter 13, that great chapter depicts seven beautiful parables about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the church of Christ. And in one of those parables, as he explains the parable of the sower, the first of the parables in that chapter, in verse 22 of Matthew 13, the Lord said, Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. The what? The cares of this world the deceitfulness of riches, the many things. And yes, even some of those things that in and of themselves are not wrong, not inherently evil, as we've already seen, hospitality is enjoined upon us in Scripture. But hospitality that takes precedence over the spiritual is contrary to God's will. Anything that we put above our spiritual pursuit is wrong and has to be corrected. Many things can interrupt and interfere and ultimately destroy the one thing. Burton Kaufman wrote this poem entitled The Daughters of Martha. There's the bed to make and the mail to meet, the bills to pay and a guest to greet, the phone to answer and address to press, the house to order and a child to dress. There's the shopping list and a million things as the duties mount and the doorbell rings. For Martha's daughter is a busy one and a woman's work is never done. In summer and winter and day and night she toils and finds in the task delight. She heals the hurt and foils the stroke and proudly indeed she bears the yoke. But toiling hands at the last are stilled and the toiler's place by another filled. And the better part she might have won is forever lost when the day is done. We must not allow the many things, even those many things that are good and right in and of themselves, ever take precedence over the one. And so, in the next verse, the final verse of our text, but one thing is needed, Jesus says to Martha. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. What a statement. Mary has chosen the good part. The one thing is needed. It's not the many things that are crucial. It's that one thing that is needed. Go back again to Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You prioritize as you should. You choose the good part. Mary chose the good part. What is that good part? I love the statement of the psalmist in Psalm 27 and verse 4 where he writes, one thing, one thing I have desired of the Lord. That I will seek. What is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days 
of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What a beautiful statement. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Where's the house of the Lord today? The house of the Lord is not a physical building. It's the spiritual house today. It's the church in which we are privileged to behold the beauty of the Lord, the spiritual blessings that are ours to enjoy, all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus and to inquire in his temple, the spiritual temple, the church, as we, as we are blessed with the knowledge that we're headed toward the heavenly home, we continue to inquire into his word and feed upon that word and intensify our desire and determination to one day see the Lord, as we said earlier, face to face, if we'll spend enough time now sitting at his feet. That's the one thing we need to desire. That's what we need to seek, that we may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple, the spiritual temple, the church. Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will by no means pass away. Where should we be concentrating our efforts? On that which will pass away and be destroyed, everything that we see around us, or that which will abide forever? Shouldn't we therefore, as James admonishes in James 1.21, lay aside all overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. We need to obey the word. Hold on to that word which no one can take away from us forcibly. That's what we're reminded of by these last words of Jesus. Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. No one can forcibly take away your salvation. You're the only one that can give it up. And tragically, all of us know of those who have because they simply did not continue to sit at Jesus' feet. You may choose the good part today. As these words, written by the most precious person to me on earth, indicate, at the Master's precious feet with Mary, may I e'er be found. Those feet which traveled many miles on this earth's stony ground to teach and lead while loving wayward men back home to God. Those feet which left heaven's golden streets these sin-worn paths to trod. At the Master's precious feet, prostrate, fell many a sinful soul. Have mercy on me, O Lord, I know thy grace can make me whole. To the Master's precious feet came those who knew from up above he brought the word of God, a word of hope and peace and love. At the Master's feet, may I, like Mary, ever take my place. May I walk the path in such a way I'm ever in His grace. 
May my life of sweet devotion, humility, and love find ultimate approval from the good Lord up above. May I walk the path the Master walked. He showed me how to know the safe road and the pitfalls, the heavenly way to go. At the Master's precious feet, may I with meekness lay my will as I take up his cross. May he with courage my heart fill. May I fight the good fight bravely. May I for him souls save. May we all know joy and glory in that home beyond the grave. When humbly at his feet one day I fall, my judge to hear, may it be you've done what you could and done it well, my dear. At the master's precious feet, round the heavenly throne above, may I with heavenly singers praise forever his great love. At the master's precious feet with Mary, may I take my place among the faithful of all ages, of every tribe and every race. Where are you today? At the master's feet? Or distracted and worried and troubled about the many things and allowing the many things to lead you away and to keep you from focusing on that good part which shall never be taken away, which only you can forfeit. You may not have yet chosen that good part. You see, you choose the good part initially by becoming a follower of Jesus. And the only way to do that is by believing that Jesus is the Christ. Repenting of your sins, confessing him to be the Christ, and being buried with him in baptism for the forgiveness of sins you haven't done that, we plead with you to do it. Choose the good part, which will never be taken away from you forcibly. Once you rise from the watery grave of baptism and you continue to live faithfully the Christian life, you have the blessed hope of one day hearing, well done. You've done what you could. You did it well, my dear. But there may be some here who need to come back home and sit once again at the feet of Jesus as you once did because you have been distracted by the things of the world to the extent and in a way that public repentance is needed. If it's private, deal with it privately, as we often say, between you and the God of heaven. But if you need to restore your influence and your soul in a public way as we pray with you and for you to the God of heaven who loves you, then we plead with you to do that. Come home to the feet of Jesus, as it were. Sit there once again and reclaim that good part as we stand to sing to encourage you.